I've got a photo for you because we're back in summer school. This is like our sixth uh, Sunday, or actually it's our seventh Sunday of summer school. The first Sunday was dedicated just setting up to what summer school is going to be like, looking at these seven letters to the church, churches in Revelation. And there you have two statues. They're not actually uh, side by side in real life. Uh, anybody can tell me either one of them. Rocky is on your left. Uh, that is the a statue to a fictional boxer played by Sylvester Stallone. And, and how many? Five Rockies? Were there five? Well, now with the creeds and all the, maybe there's like, I don't know, half a do, a, more than a half a dozen uh, movies about Rocky. But that's in Philadelphia. It's been moved a couple, three times. And then the next picture you have on the right side is a statue in Turkey of Attalus, A-T-T-A-L-U-S, the second, who was the king of Pergamum, who basically established the city of Philadelphia. So that's why we have two Philadelphia statues, if you will. Uh, named, he did so in honor of his brother. He was called Philadelphia-lus, as in lover of brother, brother of love. And he loved his brother so much. He was a true warrior. He uh, was a warrior king uh, fighting for the Romans as well as his brother. And we pick up this letter to the church at Philadelphia. If we called last week's letter, or last week's church, the possum church. In other words, they were pretending to be alive, but they were really dead. And like a possum pretends to be dead, but is really alive. And Jesus is looking at them saying, you need to wake up. Many people will say to this church, it is the church of praise, a church that was lauded for its achievements. Even though it was small, even though it was weak, it gets acclimated, it, it is, gets honors uh, from the Lord in this third chapter of the book of Revelation. If you look at this next one, let me just show you, and I don't know how much we focused on this, and I don't remember, I know that um, I didn't have a map, la I think I... I didn't have a map last week or the week before that, but Pierce had a map. If you can see the seven churches on that particular map, obviously Philadelphia is now on that more southerly swing. Some say, think, like that letter, 1 Peter, that we preached from a few months back, was a circular letter, even though it was addressed to each one of these different churches, that each church, just as we can, reading all seven letters, can find something for our church today that you can see there's making a little root there. Philadelphia is, was sometimes called the gateway into Asia Minor. It is a, in lines that are not on there, kingdom lines are about three different kingdoms of Asia Minor that came together. And during, um, it was established by Attalus in I think 185 BC, so basically two centuries before Jesus was born. But then by the time Jesus was about 17, it's somewhere around 17 or 19, it was destroyed by an earthquake. It was Philadelphia was built next to a volcano. Whether it was tremors from the volcano, I don't know, but it had several earthquakes. It was leveled. And then Tiberius stopped taxes for the city. He uh, made a lot of uh, extra benefits for them, and they rebuilt the city in the la latter part of 17, 18, 19, 20 A.D., and the people of Philadelphia were so impressed, so um, much in his uh, debt, they renamed it Neo Caesarus, which is like New Caesar, uh, because he had helped them rebuild their city. So 
when you think of it being a gateway, and why I started that, why it was built like that, there they were to spread the Greek language to the other countries and Greek culture. So as the Romans and the Greeks came through, they got their influence on other cities within Asia Minor. So when we read a door in this, you can make a connection that Jesus is taking some common things that they thought about themselves or that the hearers in this day would have thought about themselves. He's making application. And then likewise, not only does he, is that a city that had multiple names, they would rename it a third time after another Caesar came along. But in any event, uh, Jesus talks about a new name that his followers will receive. So there's a lot of uh, history and culture as you understand more about the cities when you read these letters uh, that make some connection for, for them. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you please to join with me. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we've been doing for these seven letters. If you'll read along on the screen with me, follow chapter 3, verse 7 of the book of Revelation. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write... These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan... Who claim to be Jews, they, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole earth to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of, my, of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. Why don't we say this last line? And the NIV that I use is sometimes a little different. So let's read this one together. Whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. How many times we've read that these seven weeks or so, and we just shut our brains off. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this um, letter of praise to a small and weak church, can we find similarities in it and in our church? Can we find lessons in it that we can learn from? Can we find challenges in it? Can we find conviction in it? Lord, deal with us through your word. Scratch our hearts. Stir us. Awaken us. Have us to respond in faith to this letter that your son gave to a church to a congregation that served you. Let us be in that same light, a church that loves and serves you. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. 
Recalling our framework from these uh, summer school sermon series, we will deal with uh, the report card. We've given each church a report card, and we know that's kind of awkward. I've talked about that, that you're just making some assessments from the scriptures. And then we'll look at homework, what the, that church needs to do. And then we'll look at a reward, what that, how that church can be rewarded if they do what uh, their homework has been. Is that me? This keeps popping. I didn't do anything and I popped. Dan, what do I need to do? I don't know. Okay. Just keep preaching, Cliff, and we'll, oh, maybe it's there. Maybe this, maybe it's loose down in here. I, there we have it. Does that help? Maybe? We'll see. Okay. So let's just go straight into the report card and go to the next slide. So there are four subjects that uh, any young freshman in college would love to have. Um, Anthropology, statics, onomatology, <laughs> yeah, Cliff, where'd you pull that one out? And shop class, let me tell you, never had shop class, wish I'd had shop class. Those guys learned to weld. Judd's seen my welding, I can burn through more metal than I ever joined together. But let's start off with anthropology. Uh, <clears throat> and actually, in my sermon notes, I have statics first, I wonder why, maybe I switched that later on. So I'm, I will, let's, go, let's look at statics, because that's what I have in my notes, and it's probably easier for me. Statics, um, I was an engineering major until I decided that the Lord was calling me uh, to ministry. And thank God, uh, you may say you should have stayed with engineering, but I will say thank God he called me out of that, because I remember dropping my sophomore year, uh, all the classes that I dropped, and it was like, I don't know, physics, whatever, uh, calculus, some level some other level of something, and then statics. Statics is a, um, and I started to bring a board in. I, I, I would use Gary's base, but he would probably shoot me. If you, could, if you could imagine a board from that pew to that pew, and then if one of you sat on it somewhere left or right of center, statics is this entryway into engineering where you learn about the forces of weight and the forces of pressure on objects at rest by the, the support that they're being pushed against. In fact, you, you would measure on trusses of a bridge or on a house how much pressure is on the different points. And if you would know if you had a board going from pew to pew and moved the weight from left to right, there would be a different amount of weight on this end than that end if the weight was over here. And if I was sitting on it, it would have broken and we'd be done with that in sermon illustration. But undoubtedly, this church had pressure on it. And that's why I use this term statics. Jesus quantified the forces placed on them. Although they were small and weak, he said they had been faithful. They had not denied his name. In fact, even their own people, the Jews, who had persecuted and lied about them, he says their day will be coming. Here we catch a glimpse of the growing gap between Judaism and Christianity that we see, this is the second time, in fact, Jesus uses the term uh, temple or synagogue of Satan. If you, the church of Christ, if we are the church of Jesus Christ, and I know many denominations have picked up on that title, if we believe that we are gatherers, followers of who Christ Jesus is, then we think that we are and believe that we are 
the um, heirs of the covenants and the promises of the Old Testament. But if you are a Jew of the day, or even a Jew of today, you would believe that the promises and the covenants of the Old Testament are due to you. So now you can see some of this rivalry, some of this animosity that was building from Christians, followers of Christ, those he says that I have loved, and these who are lying about them. And he says that they're not even really Jews because if they truly understood who he was, in fact, they would have followed him. Christ calls them liars. He recalls that wording from Smyrna that I referenced earlier. He says that this church is feeling pressure, and yet in the midst of this pressure, they have been faithful to me. The church of 2021 is feeling pressure. I stumbled on a website this week uh, with numerous statistics. I usually follow Gallup or Barna, uh, some other Lifeway uh, polls that have different impacts or different uh, statistics about what churches are uh, dealing with right now. But here are just some of the ones that I, I gleaned from this one. One of them spoke to me. It said 62% of Americans believe that the coronavirus is a message from God to humanity. 62% of Americans. But yet, if you use that, only 47% of Americans now are active in a local church. So, more people than are going to church see God's hand in the midst of this virus. 28% of those who were regular church attenders pre-COVID have not attended in person or watched online a worship service even one time since the outbreak. 49, this is a comical one, but I mean, I, you know, oh, I could do that today because we've been talking about summer school. I could have you pull out a piece of paper and take a pop quiz. Didn't you hate that? See if you'd be... 49% of adults don't know if it was Jesus, James, John, or Peter who preached the Sermon on the Mount. If you wrote down Jesus, you passed, okay? All right. Yeah, thank you. Got that one right. And here's the one that troubles us as parents. 34% of teens have different faith beliefs than their parents. This little church was faithful. This weak church was strong in their faith. That's why I give them an A in statics. In fact, I gave them A in everything. I mean, it's kind of like they are the one church of the seven that gets lifted up. Anthropology. An A in anthropology. Anthropology. It's hard for me to even say. I didn't take it in school, even though I was a history major. We thought it was some sociology, some anthropology. Uh, it is the study of humanity concerned with human behavior, with human biology, with culture and society both present and past, learning from and about the human species. It studies language, it studies politics, it studies art, it studies religion, it studies economics. So it is the study of man in that particular hu human culture and time and location. The church in Philadelphia, its human behavior, its culture, its actions pointed to faith in Jesus. And rather than wait for centuries to pass, because anthropologists, often with archaeologists, are seen, you know, brushing off bones in the dirt. But rather than wait till our bones are just projecting from the dirt, what if someone was to study your human behavior? 
Study your language. Study your actions. Study your hangouts. The things that define your culture. Would they find your faith in Christ Jesus? Would they find his fingerprints all over you? Because I ask you this morning, do you speak the language of love? Or do you speak a language of hatred, racism, anger? Do you work with a practice of forgiveness? Oh, this generation was a forgiving generation. Do you seek to be served or do you seek to serve? Do you listen to the voice of the one who says, he who has an ear, let him hear? A in anthropology. A in onomatology. You know what that is? Studying names of proper names. So a couple of times in these short six verses or so, he talks about your name, you, you were faithful to my name, then he talks about giving you a new name. And it's always fun when, like yesterday, Brenda introduced me to a man that was here at Cars and Coffee, one of her clients' husband, and uh, Nicholas and I are trying to, I can't hear half the time. I swear the mask makes my hearing go down. George, does it do the same for you? I mean, you put a mask on, I can't hear you because I can't read your lips anymore, too. That's part of it, I'm sure. But he, he's, I thought his name was Allison, like the transmission, an Allison transmission. You know, I think in car terms. It was Alliston. There's a T in there. So, like, okay, where did that name come from? He goes, man, I don't know. He said, my, my mom was Haiti or Haitian, and, or my dad was Haitian. And he said, my mom was from, like, Alabama. So he said, I don't know. I said, so it could have been a family name. It could be. Maybe they just made it up. And it's always fun to hear the history of our names. Jesus is telling this church that they had been faithful to his name. You know, some cities are, and some people are known by their nicknames. I've told you in, in sermons past, my nickname is Sam. But if I called out some of these cities, would you know from their nickname, if I said the Windy City, what would you say? Yeah, if I said the, the Big Apple, Big Easy. Yeah, some of you, you're getting a little slow there. Uh, how about Military City, USA? Oh, you know where you live. Okay. Well, when, when my uh, closest friend in seminary married, he married uh, during, our, I think, our second year, second year of seminary. And uh, his wife told me that uh, the, the tradition where she's from, they're from Alabama. And I, and I don't know, I haven't heard this in Texas. So I'm looking at some of you. Maybe you'll tell me wrong or right. She dropped her last... Her, her middle name, and her middle name then became her maiden name. So instead of hyphenating her last name, she basically just dropped her middle name, and she took on his name, but, you know, now she's Patricia Tucker Gray. Instead of, like, Patricia Ann uh, Tucker, she just dropped the Ann and, and made it that way. Jesus says, I will change your name. I will change your name to an unchanging name, one that has and will stand forever. And, and please, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to step on anybody's feet that didn't change their name. That's not my intent at all. Now, if you hyphenated your last name, or maybe the husband took the wife's name. I mean, wouldn't that be novel? I mean, Brenda's last name, maiden name, I know. I gave her nickname a couple weeks ago, Ledgerwood. Perry's easier to spell, right? Yeah. Take the easier one to spell. 
But Jesus says you'll never have to change your name. It'll be a name you don't have to hide from. It's a name, and it's a location that you won't have to evacuate from. He talks about you know, making you this pillar and you will never leave. You'll never have to be boarded up. You'll never have to pack up. You won't have to rebuild again. Onomatology, A, your name. And then finally, in these grade card today, shop. As I alluded to earlier, I did not take shop class, and it's kind of a cousin of home ec, and I know home ec got, got a lot of fun. Sherry Blow last week about knocked my head off as she's leaving. She says, you know, I taught home ec, and you were on some really thin ice there. I said, but I tried to, I tried to recall it. You know, I tried to recover. I tried to say how important it was, and it really is. I mean, just a shop class. It was a, when I went to high school, it was kind of like the blow-off class. But let me tell you, you learned how to do a lot of things. You learned how to do woodworking. You might have learned how to do something like electricity. You might have learned at least power tools. Maybe came back with all your fingers. I don't know. You learned how to weld. Uh, we had automotive when Nick was in, uh, where were we, Biloxi? That, no? Shake your heads on occasion. Yes. Yeah, somewhere you had automotive. Yeah. And, or, whatever. Give me this strange look. Spencer had woodworking here, didn't he? Yeah. So, I mean... It's really cool things that they can teach you there. And the thing I'm trying to get you to think about today is I, I know my, my dad made something when he was in high school, and my mom and uh, sister still have it in the basement of our house, a little bitty uh, table, like a, like a magazine table. But anybody ever make a door? Because that's what Jesus is talking about here today is the door. And I started, there are no videos today, so some of you who live for the videos, uh, I almost played one on the revolving door. The creator and the inventor of the revolving door, he was a curmudgeon. He did not like to be with people. That's why he made the revolving door, so he never had to hold the door open for a woman. He never had anyone to hold the door open for himself. And he made that door, and it became so successful because it kept the cool air in or the hot air in or whatever time of year. But... Most people know if there's a revolving door and there's a one you pull, they take the one you can pull. So it's not often the most used. Jesus is saying, I am, in fact, at least, well, let me ask you this question. Another quiz question. How many doors in this building? If you count those as two and those as two, that's four. How many, build, how many doors do you think are in this building? There's about there's over 30. There's about 35 some odd doors here. There are three doors. There's a door into the cry room, a door into the bathroom, and another door that goes into the toilet. There are three doors back there. In the front office, there's like four doors, and Dan and Pierce and I made a sliding door. There's like five doors in there. So there are all kinds of doors, and there's over 130 some odd doors mentioned in the New Testament alone. Jesus says, I stand at the door, and that'll be in the chapter later uh, that'll be next week, actually. Church to Laodicea. I stand at the door and knock. He says, I, I am the, the gate. I am the narrow way. I am the door. And then Paul prays that they might open a door for the gospel. So there are at least three ways if you use those three. There's one to have fellowship with him. There's one that has some salvific meaning. And then there's one that would be power. The door. The door. So, in shop class, they were the door. They knew where to enter. They knew when to exit. And Christ is saying, I will let in who I want to let in, and I will keep out those that I want to keep out. I think you could go back to Isaiah 22. It records a prophecy of the coming Messiah who would hold the keys. And I have it here. Uh, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. 
what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Same verbiage that we see here in Revelation 3. Jesus is saying, I have the keys to the kingdom. I will set up residence with you in your willing heart. And I hold the keys to life and death. I hold the keys to heaven and hell. I open the doors at my discretion and I close them as I choose. No one can lock down what I've opened up and no one can pry open what I've shut. He is the key or holds the key and he is the door. We miss so much when we attempt to go our own way. Kids that sneak out of the window versus going out of the door often get hurt. I could have played fail videos on that. That's where my mind goes all week. I'm always looking for some way to you know, get them laughing, then you can hit them in the gut with something that really is. But we're to do the same thing. God opens these doors for us. He opens a relationship. He stands there wanting to have a relationship with you. And we choose every other way than walking the aisle to say, I'll follow him. We choose to jump up and leave when it gets awkward in a worship service and make maybe conviction has touched your heart. We try all kinds of combinations. We try to invent our own keys. We try to bang on the doors and might as well be banging our head on the door. But Jesus says, come on, I know what's best. I have this incredible view for you above, trust me, when I open a door, step through it and follow me. And let me tell you, there are doors all around us. We have doors that we can open and, or at least show in our neighborhood. Let me tell you about my Savior. You can show the door at, at, at work to a colleague to say, let me talk to you about the faith I have. One of the other statistics that I had on that uh, survey this week, it said 70 some odd percent of evangelicals think that it's better just to um, show your faith by the way you live than to really talk about your faith to someone else. Okay, I, I, there is something called lifestyle evangelism. I had a book I'd read on that 100 years ago in seminary, that by your, the way you live, you can present the gospel. But that takes a lifetime, or at least it takes a lot of experience with that person for them to understand. And sometimes it's really just easier to say, hey, do you know Jesus? Anybody talk to you about the one who's coming again, the one who can forgive and redeem, walk through the door. All right, let's look at homework. Somebody says, is this sermon ever going to get in over? Well, endure patiently. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and there's much to be said. There, this, uh, there are sermons on this particular phrase. But he tells us in verse 10, I believe it is, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Enduring patiently, they had done that. They had survived. They had maintained. They had kept the faith, if you will, when those of their own race, those of their own ilk, had said that they were liars and they persecuted them. For us, I believe, living this life of faith is one way of enduring patiently. 
I don't see in it uh, that it's an easy way, especially in the context of this church. And one of the um, illustrations I found this week to talk about enduring patiently and how sometimes we miss the boat on what is important. I thought it was great seeing these children today take off and go, for, not, not leaving, but I mean the kids that are here to, and, and of course the leaders that are here to work with them and to help bring some sort of Christmas message for us, teaching the children as they teach us. And sometimes having that youthful blood in the congregation is that thing that teaches us endurance because you were once that way. There was a time that your skin didn't sag. I'm not talking about anybody in particular. You know, there, there was a time your skin didn't tear. Anybody had that problem yet? Or you, you get touched really hard and you bruise and all of, your hair, you know, don't go there. But um, Tony Campello, I can never say Tony Campolo. Um, Campello, Campolo, yeah, Tony. Tony is, uh, those of you who know his writings, he's a pa pastor, uh, clinical uh, psychologist. Uh, he has um, been a, like a motivational speaker, if you've ever heard any of his presentations. I think he's probably, I think he's a little bit younger than my mother, so he's got to be mid-80s by now. Uh, he tells a story of the night in which he was baptized. He and three other boys were baptized at this church in Philadelphia that later closed. And he, he actually served on staff at a Baptist church in Philadelphia. But he said during his time there, he was able to go and uh, find, you know, church records. Churches are notorious for keeping, well, they're not notorious. I guess they're known for keeping uh, good records of people that have come and gone in their church. And he said, I was able to find, uh, after doing research, on the night in which I was baptized and the names of those two boys who were baptized with me. We all three were nine years old. There was my name. So here's a guy, a lifelong pastor, Christian speaker, author. He said also it was Dick White's name. He was a missionary. And Bert Newman, who was a professor of theology at an African-American seminary. He said, then I read the church report for my year. And he didn't say what year it was, but assuming nine, he's born in 30-something. It was probably in the 1940s. He's, the church wrote, or the church clerk, it has not been a good year for our church. We've lost 27 members, three joined, and they were only children. To that, I say endure patiently. We may not have the growth that we think we should, especially in this COVID time, but I'm starting to see people come back. And it's okay if you got your mask on. I, I think that's great. Let's keep each other healthy. But let's keep worshiping together. Patiently means waiting, nurturing, trusting, and walking daily with him. Finally, the reward. All right. Some say this is a twist on uh, the Gentiles having to fall prostrate uh, in front of uh, Jews. Back in Isaiah, I think it's 45, uh, 49, and uh, chapter 60, uh, we're... The prophet says that the tall men will bow down, and then he talks about kings and queens will have to bow down. Then he even talks about their oppressors having to bow down to the Jews. So Jesus is telling us that one day they will be vindicated, that those who, who tormented you, those who persecuted you, they will fall down and know that I loved you. He also says, I will protect you. And it's a good thing to remember 
that Jesus will protect us, that your faith will protect you. In fact, I, I sometimes like to read, this is Romans 8, uh, I think it's 29, 30. Do I have that in there? Yeah. Well, that's hard to read. It's 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He will protect you. And finally, as I'm trying to wrap all this up in our time frame, he will give you a new name. Uh, I stumbled on this. I tried to find a video of it. And I found one. It was too long. Uh, but it is so timely. And, and thank you, Steve, for reminding us of, of all the tragedies that happen in our world in your prayer time. Uh, Afghanis, I mean, how many of you saw some of those pictures of children being handed over uh, bob wire uh, in, a, in a culture that women, that, that females are not valued? Um, the Hindu culture is similar. And uh, that's what launched me on, the, on this tangent this week. Nakusa is the word that many baby girls are given, which is unwanted in the Hindu language. And uh, CNN had ran a report, or actually it was Associated Press, uh, had had, had a, uh, I found this article, that sometimes in the right cities, they will have renaming ceremonies for these little girls. Because could you imagine growing up your whole life being known as the unwanted one. And there in these ceremonies, in fact, this particular one I read, there were 250 some odd girls. They were all dressed up in their best clothing. They had their hair done, you know, braids and, and all that kind of stuff, just decorated. And they were each given a certificate with their new name on it. And the girls could pick them. Some were like powerful, you know, some were beloved, you know, some were just more modern names that may not have a true up English translation for proper nouns. But uh, one little girl said, I have chosen the name Powerful because my grandfather uh, called me unwanted. Christ says, I will give you a new name. It's similar to what we read in uh, an earlier letter. In the church to Pergamum, he says, I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, a name known only to him who receives it. So... That obviously causes the question when you read this text, well, what is that new, new name going to be? Well, if you tie it into Pergamum's letter, it's a name only known to God and to you who receive it when you are in glory. Uh, we're, I'm tying it to our verse 12 of today's chapter 3. I will also write on him my new name. I think Pierce told me this week everybody gets a new tattoo. I don't know if that's the case, Pierce, but we all do get a new name, right? And whether it is the name Christian, whether it is the name child of God, whether it's some special name that I only know until the face to face with the Savior in glory, I know that he is the one who will be speaking to me. He is the one who will be speaking to you, saying, you are wanted. I came, I died, I overcame the grave for you. What's in a name? Everything, especially when it's been spoken to you and called you. By the name of Jesus, the one who saves. Stand with me, please, we pray. Our fathers, we come to a time of invitation. Some of us are struggling, perhaps, with how we see ourselves. Uh, maybe um, we'd like to have a new name. And we want it on this side of glory. Well, we can receive that new name just by asking for your forgiveness. Asking for you to um, wipe the slate clean and to restore a broken relationship 
to a healed relationship with your father. Take the name of Christian. Take the name of follower. Take the name of disciple. Take the name of Jesus lover. Take the name radical. Take the name changer. Take whatever name that is associated with you and empower your people to follow you. Lord, write on our hearts this new name. If there's one in this service today that has never come to know Jesus, that never confessed their sins, perhaps they feel like they have failed in everything. Take a lesson from this church. We may not be big in numbers. We may not be big in strength. But Lord, we can be big through you. We can overcome this world. So if there's someone here that needs to come to the steps of this church and say, I need the forgiveness you're talking about. Let your Holy Spirit move in our midst. Perhaps they just want to come and take some of the burdens of this day and leave them here. The doors of the church are open. Your door, Lord, you have opened them unto us. So we ask you now to move. And in a mighty way, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.